Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You want believable stories? Because today's episode is full of them. Most of these stories are the kind that don't go too far, the ones that don't jump the shark as you will, and instead leave you creeped out by the lack of doubt you're left feeling. These are my favorite types of stories, not the ones where people claim to fistfight Bigfoot, no, the ones that leave more to your mind. This is Outdoor Terrors, the podcast where real people share their allegedly true and scary experiences from the great outdoors, and I read them to you. Enjoy today's stories, featuring disturbing cave discoveries, storm visitors, and more. If you've ever encountered something terrifying while outdoors, send your story to me at darkstories.org so I can narrate it. And check out eeriecast.com for more shows like this. Now, throw a log on the fire, because the night is still young. It wasn't a raccoon, from Red Scarecrow 99. Before I recollect this story, allow me to give some background. I've spent my whole life in the mountains of northeast Pennsylvania. I've spent considerable time in the wilds, hunting, fishing, and camping, I've been lucky to see almost all the wildlife this state has to offer, but I do believe there are many things out there that we as humans don't know about or don't understand. It was late summer 2015. My ex-wife, whom shall remain nameless here, grew up in the streets of Trenton, New Jersey. She had never had the opportunity to camp, and my family wanted to give her a taste of our rural lifestyle by arranging a quote-unquote, camping trip, in my parents' backyard for a weekend. It wasn't exactly roughing it, as we would be staying in a pop-up camper only 25 yards from my parents' cottage. Most of the weekend was delightful. There was plenty of fishing, hiking, swimming, and campfires, toasted marshmallows included. Just me, my family, my ex-wife, and our two lab mixes, named Yoshi and Max. We'd already spent two nights in that camper, and this was to be the last night. My father, a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, cautioned us on an incoming rainstorm. We chuckled and went to bed, excited to sleep under a thunderstorm. The idea of the sound of the rain on the roof of the camper sounded pleasant. We said our goodnight and put the dogs to bed, shortly before turning in for the night ourselves. My now ex-wife and I talked briefly about how nice the weekend had been, before falling asleep rather quickly. 
We'd swam all day, and we were exhausted. I awoke sometime around midnight. It was tough to say exactly when, but it was pitch black out. The camper was softly rocking, and I could hear distant thunder rumbling. I closed my eyes, trying to go back to sleep, only to be torn from sleep again sometime later by the crack of thunder that shook the camper more. My wife and I both bolted upright, and the dogs began to bark as the rain came down like bullets from the sky. We had just started to discuss our next steps when we heard it. Bare feet running down the flagstone path from the cottage to the camper. We both assumed it was my parents coming to wake us up to tell us to seek shelter in the house. We're coming, Papa Bear, my ex-wife yelled out as the dogs began to growl. Now, Yoshi is a lab Akita mix, and in his prime, he was 125 pounds. But even he ducked under the table and hid with the more skittish Max. Suddenly, something punched the camper door with enough force to rock the little pop-up. We both screamed as the camper leaned to one side, like something was pulling it down, and a loud bang came from the roof as something jumped up. It was pitch blackout, which was odd. The yard light didn't even turn on with its motion sensors. The dogs began to bark furiously as my wife began to sob. We were both terrified. In the darkness, I whispered, I'll send the dogs first, then me, then you. Run to the house for Dad, and don't stop for anything. She continued to cry, but I could barely see her nod. I flung the door open and yelled, Yoshi! Max! Go! They took off running at my command. I hopped out unarmed, but remembered the hatchet my father used for the campfire. It was only a few feet away. I scooped it up as my wife ran screaming. The motion-sensing lights finally came on, shining on the downpour and revealing the yard. I looked up to my horror. There was nothing there. I was greeted with only rain and wind, as my father was dragged, in his undies, I may add, to the back porch by my mother. Whatever had attacked the camper and jumped on top of it had vanished. The camper itself was surrounded by a small patch of trees that had no low-hanging limbs. I would have heard or seen it drop, but there was nothing. Shaken up, I went inside and told my dad and mom what happened. My dad doesn't believe in the supernatural or paranormal. I was told numerous times about large raccoons and was admonished for running away from tree rodents. But I was promised an investigation in the morning. Needless to say, only the dogs got sleep that night. At first light, we went outside. I retold my story and showed my dad how the camper was solid as I jumped up and down on it. There wasn't any sway when I did it. It couldn't have been the wind. I tried to rock it myself, and I'm six foot one, 230 pounds, rock solid, and I gave it no sway. The scariest part was when he, my dad, got the ladder to examine the roof. There above the door was four long fingerprints in the algae. See? Raccoon paw prints. Dad, I said. Just look at the prints. The fingers are seven inches long. He just shook his head and went back inside. 
Now I know it wasn't the wind, and it wasn't a raccoon. I have no idea what paid us a visit that summer night, but I'm glad it didn't stick around. When the Ground Shakes From Yosemite Sam My wife wanted me to share this story with you. She listens to the podcast and thought I should let people know what a true, real-life, scary story was like. When I was a kid of about 12 years old, I used to live in a small town just outside Johnson City, Tennessee. That's deep in the Appalachian Mountains. This was back in the 70s, and people were different about their kids then. We would go off all day and not come home till dark. People didn't worry about the same kinds of things we do now, but perhaps we should have. We would explore the woods, find abandoned mines and caves, and camp outside on warm summer nights. We weren't stuck in front of the TV, like kids today. Back then, you could only get two or three channels in the mountains, so it was pretty boring to just stay home. In retrospect, we did some pretty dumb things and took some insane risks that could have cost us our lives. But somehow, we survived it all. The story starts early one morning when I and my brothers and sisters were waiting on the school bus. It was around 7 a.m. on a cold November morning. This would have been in 1973 or 1974. We noticed the gravel on the road moving. We heard the sound of rocks falling and we could see dirt and dust rising from a nearby ridge. This continued for about 10 seconds and was enough to make us run back into the house. The radio in my dad's old car said there was a 7.3 magnitude earthquake in Claiborne County to our north. I remember my dad saying it was felt all the way to Charlotte, North Carolina, some 100 miles south from there. We ended up missing school that day, which was pretty cool for us. So we took off, like we usually did, into the woods by that ridge because we wanted to see which rocks had fallen. On our way to the ridge, we saw a place where the ground had opened up, revealing a cave entrance. Now, real cave entrances, which aren't cleared for tourists, look a lot different than the ones in movies or pictures. This was covered with roots and leaves and dirt, but you could see inside it pretty well. We went back to the house, getting some rope and my dad's old lantern. Before long, we were back at the new cave with these supplies, gathering up our courage to go in. We talked about finding gold or diamonds, maybe turning it into a secret hideout. There were four of us, including two twin boys, my best friend Dale and me. Dale and I were best friends. We were inseparable for the most part. The twin boys were always getting into trouble, and they used profanity a lot but they were always trying to outdo each other, so they were fun to hang around with. We climbed down the embankment to the mouth of the cave, and we turned on the lantern. Dale pulled away roots and leaves to make the cave mouth big enough to climb through. I stuck my head inside and was immediately met with the smell of death. The air was so thick with the smell of it, I gagged. Not to be discouraged, I pulled my t-shirt up over my nose, and pushed past the roots until I was inside. Dale handed me the light, and inside I saw a low, flat room about four feet high and easily twenty feet across. The cave went further back, 
but my light couldn't make out any details past that. Dale crawled through next, then the twins. Holding the lantern as high as I could, we proceeded into the cave. Once we were inside, we could see bones of animals all over the floor. Some of them had been picked clean, others still had meat on them. Then one of the twins found a dog collar on one of them, so it told us these were the bones of cats, dogs, sheep, deer, and small rodents. The bones were scattered around the floor, as if they'd been tossed away from the carcass in many cases. I remember thinking what could have done this when I noticed two lights reflecting the lamp in the back of the cave. It didn't make a noise. I remember saying, Guys, we need to get out of here now. I never took my eyes off the two pinpoints of light. It must have been something in my voice, because Dale perked up and followed my gaze. Without another word, we all got out of the cave as fast as we could. There was only one thing it could be, a bear's din. Once outside, we all ran way back to the house and told our dad what we saw. He was getting ready to go to work, second shift at the blue jean factory in town. He told us to stay away from that place until he could go check it out. Mom overheard us and told us if we went back out there, she would tear our butts up. Getting mauled by a bear is not something we wanted, so we agreed. Just to be sure, Dad gave us a few chores to keep us occupied until he got back home, splitting firewood and breaking up coal. That was enough to end our adventures that day. The rest of the week was uneventful, except for the news of the earthquake. That was the topic at school and at home for the rest of the week. By the weekend, Dale and I had decided we were going to go back and explore that cave to see if there really was a bear in it. Pretty dumb, but we decided to go armed with pocket knives and sharp sticks to take care of the bear if there really was one, or at least we thought we would. We climbed the hill back to where the cave mouth was. A couple of nighttime rains had washed away the mud and made the mouth of the cave bigger and easier to get in and out of. We made our way inside the cave and passed the smell, which was very much still permeating from the entrance. Once inside, we crouched and walked back to the back side of the cave. The cave entrance narrowed to an opening in the back wall that sloped down at a pretty steep angle like a set of steps. We continued deeper and noticed there were no bones or animal remains back in this part of the cave. It went back another hundred feet and stopped at a rather large hole that seemed to go straight down. The strangest part was that we could feel air coming up from out of the hole. It was warm air. Shining the light down into the hole, we could not see the bottom. We didn't have enough rope to go farther, so we made our way back out of the cave. Undaunted, we wanted to know how deep that hole was. We used the lantern to build a fire, and we made some makeshift torches. Dale was one of the best fire starters I'd ever seen. Within minutes, we were equipped with torches and were back in the cave. We dropped a torch down the hole. It hit the bottom about 20 feet down. It opened up into a room with a dirt-covered floor. Then, there was a growl. It was unlike anything I've ever heard in my life. 
It was coming from somewhere down in that hole, from something. It sounded like a tiger or a lion, some sort of big cat, more than that of a bear. Then it screamed so loud we dropped our gear and covered our ears. We could see from the torch lights it was circling the torch, but staying away from most of it. It was looking up at us, big and lean, definitely not a bear, more like a mountain lion, but its fur was black as pitch and its ears were like a Doberman's, straight and tall like horns. It didn't look like any cat or dog or bear. Its eyes glowed red in that firelight, like two hot coals. It would look at me, then at Dale, as if it were trying to decide who it would kill first. When it screamed again, it was like having a ton of sand dumped on you from above. I went down to my knees and tried to curl into a ball. The scream made me feel weak, unable to think or move. My head felt like it was a gong, or someone had placed a giant bell on my head and started to beat at it. I felt sick, confused, in pain, all at the same time. Dale collapsed into a ball with his hands on his ears. He had dropped the lantern, and it had rolled off the edge, down into the hole. It went pitch black up top, but the bottom of the hole burst with light as the lantern shattered right beside the thing. Another scream came from it, this time a scream like it was in pain. We didn't feel weakened from it this time, we were just terrified. It was like the spell had been broken and we were free. Our survival instincts kicked in and we took off. Dale and I made our way up the slope as fast as we could. We could tell that whatever that was in the hole was going to come after us. We just knew that it would not let us live for dropping that lantern. It was like there was a connection to the thing in our mind, and it was talking to us. Once up the slope, we could see the dim light at the entrance, and we quickly made our way back. Just before we reached the mouth of the cave, we heard the scream again. This time it was like being hit by water coming out of a fire hose. It knocked both of us down as we desperately covered our ears, then tumbled forward toward the entrance. We got out of the hole and ran all the way home with tears pouring down our faces. Neither one of us could hear for a week. I remember having a headache that was so bad, my parents took me to the emergency room. The doctor couldn't find anything wrong with us, other than the many scratches and bruises we had from the cave. We were told that we were very lucky to be alive, as there are a lot of poisonous gases in caves, and that was probably what was causing the headaches, but it should pass. About a week later, it was just a ringing sound in my ear, but I will never forget it. I remember having the strangest dreams for months afterward, dreams where I was back in that cave with that screaming thing. I would wake up curled into a ball again, just like before. I think Dale experienced the same thing. We never went back to the cave. It was very unlike us, but we weren't courageous enough to go back there. My family moved soon afterwards, and Dale and I lost contact. Many years later, I went back, after hearing that they'd had another earthquake. I wanted to visit 
and see if that cave was still there. It is, although it looks like part of the roof collapsed in on it. I tried to look up Dale too, but he had moved away. The twins were there, working at a local garage. They said Dale lived there for about 10 more years. He never quite got over the experience. Actually, he ended up being sent away to a special school for the deaf for several years. When he did come back home, he was a very quiet person. Didn't make many friends. He lived with his parents and worked at the mill for a while. Everyone said he kept to himself and that he liked to drink. I don't know what it is that the earthquake opened up back then. I guess I'll never know. I do know this, though. It was more than just a bear. More than just a mountain lion. This thing had the ability to use its cry to disable its enemies or prey. I'm not sure which we were to it. I also know it was smart enough to get into our heads. I've never known another animal that can do that. Red Pants Guy from J. Ion. My foster aunt enrolled her son in a private school known for its excellent extracurricular activities. He chose to be a member of the Scouts, which required weekly outdoor task participation in order to rise through the ranks and earn their badges. One morning, the Scouts, boys and girls, were tasked with walking around a small forest, taking pictures at certain points to prove that they did complete their assigned circuit. The boys were assigned into groups of three, of the same gender, and so were the girls. The trio of boys my foster aunt's son was a part of would always be instructed to walk ahead of a trio of girls, followed by a trio of boys, and are then followed by a trio of girls, and so on. So their formation was one of alternating genders, with each trio separated by a distance of around 50 meters. The morning that they walked in this formation, he noticed a jogger who wore bright red track pants, standing near the most remote edge of the small forest, looking at them in silence. He didn't think much of the jogger in red pants, since it was commonplace for people to exercise in the woods in the morning. He figured the jogger was just looking at them out of curiosity. After completing their first round, their scoutmaster was very happy that they completed their task so quickly. He gave them the opportunity to get a few badges in one day if they could complete two more rounds along the same path. The scouts agreed, and they set off on the same way in the same formation as before. When approaching the same remote edge of woods, my foster aunt's son realized that the very same jogger with red pants was still standing in the exact same spot. He was looking at them in complete stillness and silence. His buddies also noticed the jogger this time, and they wondered if they should take a picture and tell their scoutmaster about it. However, since the area is a public place, frequented by joggers, as mentioned before, their fear of an unnecessary confrontation with this stranger had them deciding to just ignore him. When the third and final round of their excursion took them to the same spot, they kept quiet and looked at the ground to avoid the awkwardness of staring at the still completely motionless and silent jogger in the red pants. When the trio was about 30 meters away from that spot, they heard a shrill shriek from far behind them. 
They turned, and they saw the girl sprinting towards them in terror, mouths wide open in screams. The boys, assuming great danger, started to sprint toward their school as well. When they arrived, they ran to the scoutmaster, who demanded to know what had happened. One of the girls, pale from fright and still shaking, told the scoutmaster that as she and her friends were approaching that area at the edge of the forest, a man jumped in front of them while rigorously stroking his member. The man had a disturbing look in his eyes and a demented grin with those bright red track pants pulled down to his thighs. The girls were horrified at the sight and ran away as fast as they could. Then a large group of boys and girls arrived at the school's entrance. Turns out, the remainder of the formation heard the very loud shrieks too from those girls, so all of them ran to the spot where the screams had come from, but they did not see anyone there. They had decided to band together for safety and finish the excursion as quickly as possible. The scoutmaster called the police, who combed through the small forest and surrounding areas for this pervert in red pants, but to no avail. After taking statements from the scouts who saw the jogger in red pants, the police deduced that it was an opportunistic sexual predator who was watching and waiting for the right time and right targets to expose himself. Since the pervert was watching them complete a couple of rounds around the forest, he was able to know that the girls were grouped together and isolated from the others, so he was able to corner them and escape before the others noticed. Their scout activities were supposed to end in the afternoon, but because of this case, everyone had to remain at school until late evening, so the police could do briefings on safety and set up an alert for that pervert in the area. My foster aunt's son continued in his school's scout activities until he left for college a few years later. From what he heard, that pervert in red pants was never caught, nor was he seen again in the area. However, because of the incident, all the school's outdoor excursions from then on had to be chaperoned by at least three adults, with many parents volunteering their spare time and even offering to pay for extra security at particularly crowded events. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. My Horrifying Horseback Riding Experience From Mrs. Ponchy John This happened when I was 19. I went out to my Uncle Buck's house for part of the summer. My Uncle Buck lives on 100 acres of land, and he has a lot of animals, ranging from dogs to horses, and even a pet deer, which he had found as a baby after the mother was poached. I decided to go horseback riding with my cousin Jake, I was riding my horse, Trent Malloy. Yeah, my horse was named after a character from Walker, Texas Ranger. Jake was on his horse, Lady B. Jake's border collie husky mix, Rory, came with us. As we're riding, we stopped, because we began to feel watched. Jake calls Rory over, and Rory jumps onto Jake's lap. We hear a twig snap to our left, so we look in that direction, and I kid you not, we see this person in a Michael Myers costume. Jake and I looked at each other, scared. Before we could say a word, Rory starts growling towards our right. And when we looked in that direction, we saw someone in a Jason Voorhees costume. At this point, Jake and I are both confused and terrified. But then the men pull out knives we couldn't be sure if they were real or not, but we weren't taking the chance. Jake and I got the horses turned around, and we gave them the signal to run. Jake was holding onto the reins with one hand, while he had his other arm around Rory. I looked behind us, and I saw those people chasing us. As we were almost back to Uncle Buck's house, we saw a knife fly right past us. Over the sound of hoofbeats, Jake yelled, what are these freaks doing? Then, gunshots broke out through the air. We were nearly back to my uncle's when we saw him running out of the house with his shotgun in hand and his neighbor Joe and his son Kyle rushing over with their baseball bats. Those people in Myers and Voorhees costumes stopped at the fence after Jake, Rory, and the horses got through it. My uncle shouted for them to get down on the ground, and they did. Jake ran inside and called the cops. When the cops came out, they took the masks off the two people and revealed two men. They told the cops they just wanted to scare someone, but the cops weren't buying that one bit. The two men were actually charged with attempted murder, and currently, they're in prison. If Rory wasn't with us that day, we probably never would have seen that other guy. And if we didn't have the horses, we would have never outrun those two maniacs. Sadly, Rory passed away a year after this of old age. It took a toll on Jake. Rory was his favorite dog, but he's doing better now. After all, he and his dad have 20 other dogs with a litter of pups due in March. But that day will always be stuck in our minds. Backwoods Ohio Witch Encounter 
from C. Philly 100. This is a story I gathered from a female friend and will be told from her perspective. I'd been out hiking in the backwoods of Ohio, taking a nature walk, if you catch my drift. Weed was not really legal in Ohio at the time. Not sure if it is now, to be honest, but you used to have to hike 10 miles out into the bush if you wanted to get away with puffing on the devil's lettuce. So I had just sparked up a fat one, and I was enjoying the natural sights and sounds around me, when suddenly I heard something back in the woods from behind me. I turned around just in time to see a 15-foot figure swoop from behind one tree to another. I almost messed myself at first, but after a moment, I thought that maybe my eyes were just playing tricks on me. I studied the spot where I'd last seen the thing for a second before turning back towards the creek. Whoop. I heard that thing again, almost like a high-pitched whooping whistle sound. I turned around, and I saw it. A very tall and slender creature, almost bouncing from one tree to another, making that high-pitched whooping sound as it did. I've seen pictures of Sasquatch, but this, it was totally different. Like a tall, thin, boneless creature. Not like Slenderman either, but almost like a 20-foot puppet wearing a long, dark dress that made it look like one of those wavy car lot things. Of course, without any of the air blowing through it. I totally freaked out. This thing had completely killed my vibe. I ran out of the woods as fast as I could, and I never saw anything like it again. I will just say this. If you're in the Ohio backwoods, you'd better watch out. Thanks for stopping by our little campsite here at Outdoor Terrors. To hear your story on the show, send it to us at darkstories.org. For more scary stories from me, catch me on my other podcasts, Unexplained Encounters, and Tales from the Break Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Or go to eeriecast.com for those and even more terrifying podcasts. Follow me on X or Twitter at Dark Prevails. And if you don't mind, leave a rating for Outdoor Terrors on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Till next time, I'll see you soon when the campfire blazes once again. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.